Riddle me this. The Riddler. Yeah. How do you increase your capacity, make more chips, and bring on new clients without talking to a machine tool builder or pitching yourself to a single end user? Okay, so you're saying I can't buy a new machine tool? You can't buy a new machine. I can't go get a new customer? You can't talk to any customers. I guess you got to buy a company. Bingo. Welcome to Making Chips. As manufacturing leaders, we go through seasons, seasons of struggle and seasons of celebration. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you will be equipped to make the most of the peaks and you'll be inspired to move quickly through the valleys. What you will hear is not just our opinion. It is the battle-tested testimonial and advice of a manufacturing leader just like you. So listen up and take notes. Welcome to Making Chips, Seasons. Welcome to Making Chips. I'm Matthew Nix. I'm the guest host here today. Yeah. And we are live at Fabtech. Live, baby. Here we are. My guest today is Adam Schmidt. Hey, what about us, Matthew? What, are we nothing here? No, we're well, the OGs. We're the OG <laughs> co-hosts. Yeah. I'm the guest. All right, for those of you that don't know, I'm Jason guest. Zenger. I'm Nick Golner. Adam Schmidt was getting introduced before Jason had to jump in. I love interrupting people. Interrupt, man. (laughs) Let's talk about Adam. Who's Adam? Why is he at our table? Let's hear it. So I'm the managing partner of ProFab Alliance. Okay. Okay. Presenting here at FabTech. Yeah. One of the things that Adam and his team actually does is helps fabrication shops or machine shops with succession planning. Or if you're looking at acquiring a company, they can help you acquire a company. So pretty relevant to the topic I think yeah. we're going to talk about today. Yeah, right, that's Jason? great. And this was your yeah, brainchild. This is, yeah, topic. no, this is because I think that acquisitions is one of the strategies that have built all of our companies. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, been a big it, part of our growth. I mean, big part of your growth as yeah. well, right? Yeah, we just completed one a month ago. So what we so, want to talk about today is just how to get started in acquisitions. Because yeah. I think that the starting point, there's a lot of manufacturing leaders out there that I think could acquire maybe like a local competitor, maybe a supplier, who knows, and they could really get started in acquisition, but they just don't know where to start. They don't know why they would do it. They're intimidated by it, whatever else the reason is. So we want to kind of pull back the curtain and make people a little bit more comfortable with making an acquisition. Yeah. I think on the why thing that I get this a lot, people ask me, why do you buy companies? And I think the number one thing that I always tell people is we are in a very capital intensive industry. Yeah. It costs a lot of money to grow yep. organically. We have an advisory board and some of those guys are a little more conservative, which is why we brought them around us to help keep us in check. Yep, yep. But sometimes they challenge me on acquisitions and growth. And what I have to help them understand is like sometimes you can acquire in a complete business, as you alluded to in the opener, you get customers, you get machines, you get the most important thing is people that know how to run the machines. Yep. And you can get that a less cost than actually going out and coming borrow to money IMTS from the bank. or FabTech, yeah. borrow money from the bank, buy a machine, find the customers, find the people to run the machines. So it can often be less expensive to do it this way. And so I think that's a misconception that it's like, more expensive or more costly to grow through action. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We do have to clear up another misconception from our former partner who would always challenge Jason and he would be like, he almost had this attitude that like if you acquire, you're cheating or you're lazy, like you're not doing it the old-fashioned way. Yeah, there's nothing easy about it. No, there's nothing easy about it. No, there isn't. The global manufacturing industry is full of twists and turns, but what does it mean for you? The Making Chips hosts have hand-selected the latest news, and they're about to give you their perspective. No hot takes, 
No political garbage. Just commentary from the perspective of a manufacturing leader. This is MWMN, Metalworking Manufacturing News. So, Jason, you selected some news today. Yeah, that I gave you. (laughs) Thanks for your help, Nick. Yeah, so the manufacturing news for today is from the College Fix, and the title is Trade Show Programs Thrive Amid Overall College Enrollment Decline. So the crux of the article is that they talk about all of the numbers associated with enrollment increasing at trade programs and then enrollment declining at colleges. And I think as a parent, I'm definitely not deafening on my kids going to college, yeah, yeah. going to university, because it depends on what they want to do. If they want to be a professional engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, okay, yeah. If they want to own a business, maybe not necessary to waste all that money on college. I mean, you could probably listen to a podcast, listen to YouTube videos, read a lot of books and get the same type of education that you would. I mean, if you're going to go and you're going to be an investment banker, okay, maybe. Sure. But I mean, if you're going to learn how to make chips or make sparks, you do need a lot of formal training. I think the point is to be thoughtful about what you're actually going to learn at school and not just yes. default into, oh, well, yeah. I'm supposed to go get a Yeah, you're degree. supposed to go to college and you're supposed to have that freshman experience. I don't think it's necessary. So I'm going to read from this article and then we'll talk about this a little bit. It says, young people are gravitating to trade school jobs. These students are well-matched to existing work opportunities, but thousands of high-paying blue-collar jobs that don't require a college degree sit empty because too many people think college is necessary. According to another article published earlier this year by the Heckinger Report and as reported by the College Fix. And then it goes on to give a couple different examples of the money that's being put into these trade school programs. So it says that Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis announced last year that his administration will invest $5.8 million dollars to expand trade schools through a grant to a particular school district. And the new grant is part of nearly $75 million invested by the Sunshine State into trade schools in the past year, according to the governor's office. And now it goes to my home state of Tennessee. That's why I picked this for you when yeah, I read that you. about Tennessee. And actually, Tennessee, the manufacturing there is definitely expanding. The Tennessee College of Applied Technology, a network of 24 vocational and technical colleges across the state, offers training for 70 occupations, according to the Heckinger Report. They offer 16-month to two-year courses in subjects like diesel and automotive technology and welding. And it says college president Nathan Garrett told the news outlet that many of the courses have waiting lists. So you can't even get in. That's awesome. As opposed to colleges that... I mean, the waiting list thing isn't awesome, but it's awesome that it's in such high demand. Well, they have a waiting list probably because they just don't have the teachers and the capacity in the rooms or the equipment in order to do it. So that's why they're investing this money. They ought to talk to our buddy Titan Gilroy and maybe leverage that curriculum. There you go. There you go. So, I mean, what do you all think about this? What do you think about students going to a trade school as opposed to going to college or your own kids for that matter. Well, first of all, I didn't go to college. So you, didn't? you know where I stand on this. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, no. I mean, my wife and I, we actually don't have college funds for our kids. We have get a leg up on life funds. Okay. What and, is that? And so I love yeah, how you I named mean, that. Pretty, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty simple. Just like you said, I mean, it's a business plan. So if you want to go to college, show me what it's going to cost. Show me the ROI. Like if the return on investment is there and there's actually websites that you can look this stuff up. It's pretty simple. There's what's the delta between an average wage and the wage you're going to come out with. Right. Yep, or, yep. hey, I want to start a business. Here's my business plan. Like if their business plan is strong enough, why not take the money you would have spent in college and let them Amen. invest it in a business? Yeah, yep, so, there you yeah. go. I told my kids the same thing. I'm like, I can buy you a CNC machine tool and we could start a business as opposed to spending that money on college. Yeah. 
about you, Adam. Yeah, I think a little bit younger. Yeah. And when I was in high school going into that senior year, that's really what was expected of me to go to college. Oh, yeah. Same you here. Know, yeah. It's really cool to see the cultural shift. Yeah, the pendulum swinging on that. And now it's socially acceptable to go to a trade school, to not go the traditional post-secondary college route. It's really awesome. I learned a lot in college, I'm not going to yeah. lie. And things I could have learned elsewhere as well is really, how do I think? Right? Yeah. That's what you learn. Yeah. What was your degree in? So human resources management. Okay. First and foremost. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See, I studied yeah. engineering, which is applicable, but a lot of times nowadays, I mean, these colleges, they just want to teach these kids in a worldview, which quite frankly, goes against my values as a family. And it's just, I don't want to pay for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't want to expose my children to that. So I want to be really particular about where they're going to go to school. I like Matthew called it a business plan. I think it has to be that way. And I think you need to select a college or a trade school yep. for a specific reason. So if you want to go to the, speaking of Tennessee, if you want to go to the University of Tennessee and learn from Tony Schmitz, how like machining really should work. Right. You want to be a professor of machining? Like yeah. we Which know is, one of those. We've had yeah. him on the podcast. He's a great friend, a mentor of mine. Like if my child was passionate about something and he wants to seek out the best school with the best teacher, yeah, he wanted to geek that, out on harmonics and machining. Yeah, yeah do like, it. One of his kind of pet peeves, he and his wife, who's also been on the podcast, you said pendulum. That's a yep. good word for it because we do that all the time in life. Like it just goes way too far. So yep. trade schools used to be more popular. Then they went like fell off the face of the earth. And most people I talk to don't even know what a CNC machine is. And then it can go so far where it's like, well, college is stupid. Like you should just go get a trade school, whatever certification. It's like, no, just have just a reason. Be smart just about be it. Be purposeful. Yeah. Be you know, purposeful, that's my point. Have a strategy, everything like that. Okay. That's great. So, all right. Well, let's move back to acquisition. So Matthew, why don't you give us just a summary of what you just mentioned about why acquisitions and why you guys went into them yourself. Yeah. So we've done five acquisitions in the last seven years. So pretty good pace. We've learned a thing or two about it because we've screwed up a whole lot. Oh, yeah. Adam's yeah, got a big it's part all Adam's fault, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I caused the problems. He cleans up the messes. <laughs> yeah. So before Adam moved into managing director, managing partner of ProFab Alliance, he is our vice president of business development. So he's been a, and administration. He's been a big part of integrating acquisitions. I think we're going to talk about that actually on a later. Yeah, that'll be show. another episode for sure. So, so this is the starting point. We're going to do another episode on like completing the yeah, acquisition. Yeah. Like, so yeah. today we're talking about why would you do one in the first place? And I mentioned earlier, well, it can be cost effective. It's a very capital intensive industry. And then the next thing is, of course, of course, talent is talents. That's it right now. Yep. And if you can go buy a shop that has good talent, you've got the machines that the operational capacity and the talent. That's yeah. The so issue. if I can mention something about that, Matthew, there's a lot of shops out there that just they've grown their business over the years. They've got a bunch of equipment and a bunch of employees. Their children don't want to go into the business after them and they just don't know what to do. And a lot of them will just be like, OK, I'm going to close up shop. And then their employees get dispersed somewhere. Their equipment goes out to auction. Or they take it to market. and They're not ready. Or we they see do that, that all the time. Yeah. They're desperate and they call a broker and they're not ready. They're not ready. Exactly. Yeah. So wh why not package it all up and find somebody locally even that you could sell the business to and retain that legacy. And also for you, you get to acquire, like you said, all of that capital equipment, the employees and the client base. I mean, to me, the it's the talent a, part that you brought up. The is talent huge. is huge. Yeah. So like, we have this one particular sector of our business. Matthew and I talk about a lot with the, we make enclosures for data centers and it's just absolutely booming. And so we literally have to hire 200 people in the next two years. Wow. It's not an exaggeration. And so we're like investing in the local trade school. Perfect yep, yep. article, right? You should open up a location in Tennessee. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people moving there. We'll do anything. But one of the things we talked about is we're not going to probably get 200 qualified kids out of the school and our Indeed ads and our LinkedIn recruiting and everything else. So we may have to look at acquisitions to finance our own growth with talent. So, yep. but 
A lot of times, okay, so speaking of, we talked about that would be like an acquisition of a competitor, right? So another reason why you might acquire a competitor could be just to protect yourself. Could be somebody that you've been nipping each other's heels for a while and you're like, okay, well, this person's getting older. Why don't I just see if they want to sell out? And you yep. acquire them and now all of a sudden you've got one less competitor. Yeah. So yeah, we haven't had any experience with that, but I think that is a great strategy as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's one of the things Jason's focusing on a lot. Is yeah. like, I mean, it's anyone, basically talking about market, market consol- share, market consolidation. Yeah. Market yeah. Share, yeah. Yeah. You're taking market yeah. share. Absolutely. Anyone in industrial distribution, yeah. specifically yeah. tooling, is a competitor. So Jason, so you've yeah. got thousands probably. So every yeah. time you look to like expand your footprint it's a competitor that you're buying really essentially so nick you've mentioned this a couple times but another one of the whys would be vertical or horizontal integration so if you want to explain the metal nation what that means let's say matthew's got a great example but after you fabricate you have to send it out for coding so you could just buy that supplier and now you have more control so maybe you actually speak to how you got into coatings was it through acquisition or we actually started our coatings business from the ground up really for that same exact reason everything not everything but most of what we fabricate needs to go out and get coatings we didn't have a reliable subcontractor so we started our own but had there been a great opportunity to acquire one it would have been a perfect example And that's really what we've done more. I would call it more horizontal growth. Instead of taking out direct competitors, what we've done is acquired complementary services. So we were a fab shop. We didn't do machining. So we acquired a machine shop. So that's an example. Sure. So instead of it being a supplier horizontally, it's just like kind of adjacent to your business. And so then there's forward and backward integration. So another example would be one thing that Jason's done with Mike Payne, actually. Like they're in the middle of kind of creating a new business where a geographic expansion. What I'm talking about is like you kind of own a piece of your distribution. Mm, that's what so, Adam's yeah. been pushing me. He wants to do that. Maybe so. Right. Like if that. you're going to sell through distribution, but might as well be like pay yourself with your own money in a way. Right. So speak to that, Adam. So as far as the product distribution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it all goes back to the human capital piece of it. Right. So whether we're going out and finding those distribution channels or you just acquire it. Right. So it's getting our product out to the masses as easily as possible. I mean, through acquisition, definitely be a lot faster, right? You also get some of the products that they acquire and it meshes well with everything else. It's that two plus two equals five that we always talk about. Yeah, and you're getting a downstream, like you said, you can go forward or backwards, but they need products to distribute and we need a channel to the market. So we both need each other. Why not own it and get the margin on both sides of the equation? Bingo. Now, when you make these acquisitions, do you always want to acquire 100% of the company or do you look at it from a joint venture, partial acquisition standpoint? Yeah, I don't think there's a one size fits all. We typically are going to want control. That's just the way our model works. We're not really passive investors. We have done on a small scale, maybe we just want to help somebody. There's a strategic reason there, but typically we're going to either have half or have control of the company. And yeah, most of the time we're buying all of it, but there's a lot of cases where perhaps maybe it's the owner isn't ready for retirement yet and allowing them to keep a, a piece of equity in the company to stay engaged and realize some upside might be a really valuable thing for everybody. So I would say there's no one size fits all. Yeah. I would be open-minded about yeah. that. Another why you brought up, we didn't really get to touch on it as much, but the geographic expansion. Mm-hmm. And that's what yes. you've been doing, Jason. Yeah, so like, yeah absolutely. speak to that a little bit. Like, yeah, well, it's just sometimes you can find a competitor in another geography that you haven't been in previously, and it kind of opens up you to opportunities where there's a void in the marketplace. 
For example, it seems like in that Nashville, Middle Tennessee area, there's not a lot of competition like there is in Chicago. And so how do we acquire ourselves into that marketplace so that we can deliver the high level of services that maybe those end users are not currently getting? Especially a business like yours where it's a very service oriented business. Yeah. And like locally driven, right? You don't want to be across the country from your supplier. Right. So yeah. Or in the Tulsa market, we talked about this where we're going to be opening up in Tulsa because we feel that the competition in that marketplace just is, we can really provide value to the end users there that they're not currently getting. Absolutely. So let's move on from the why and just talk about a little bit. Once you decide that you want to acquire, what's the next thing? How do you start looking for those acquisitions? I know how I would start, but I want to hear from you guys. Yeah, so I mean, with a couple of different things, really at the highest level, you've got deals that are on the market and deals that aren't on the market. So that's sort of the two buckets that we think about. Deals that are on the market. I mean, there's websites. You can scour websites and you can end up on these email lists where they're always sending you those little yeah. teasers. Yeah, there's like biz by sell. It's there's generational. Like and yeah. you can fill yeah. out all the filters so that it emails you automatically. I highly recommend that if you're looking. And then you've got the deals that aren't on the market, which often can be better, but sales cycles very long. It's relationship building. It's identifying opportunities. I've really been working to expand my network of The folks that know about the deals first are financial planners, attorneys, bankers, insurance brokers. These are the folks that are very intimately involved in these businesses that know when these transitions. Mike Payne said listed the exact same four Mm -hmm. on a different episode. So you got to build your network with them. Be a trusted resource for them to call you when these things come up and it's a long sales cycle. Build relationships with the potential sellers. I've talk to folks 18 months to 24 months ahead of us making an actual offer. My wife and I go to dinner with them and their wife, try to build a relationship because it's a good old boy industry, which is what we love about it. But they want to take care of their people and their legacy. And you got to have a relationship. So who are those four that you look towards? You said attorneys, bankers, financial planners, financial planners, insurance agents, insurance agents. Got it. And then one other thing that I think would help the audience, like getting on these lists where people include you in their distribution list. Do you have like websites to point people to, or what would be the advice that you would give? So like I receive them once in a while, you guys probably receive them even more because you're the actual president owner of your yeah. business. You get an email, like a teaser, it yeah. kind of anonymizes the business, yeah. But yeah. gives it like an avatar almost. And yeah. You can figure it business. out. Yeah. You have to back <laughs> yeah, into yeah. it, but like, yeah. how do you get on those lists? I think, well, you just got to get your name out there with the brokers. Those emailers. Yeah, they're looking for people too. But also, I would just say, make sure you're networking like anyway. So perfect example is Jason knows that I'm looking for acquisitions. If Jason doesn't know that, a few months ago, he shared a great opportunity with me. I actually went and looked at that business. He saw it because he's also looking for businesses, but he's looking for different ones that I'm looking for. And he came across it and said, this fits what Matthew's looking for. He sent it to me. So it's kind of like selling. Just like yeah. your normal old just selling, more. just hunting down new accounts. Yeah, people talk about networking usually as it relates to like building relationships, people you can sell your stuff to. Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like that. The only yeah. thing I would probably add is you're going to be inundated with data. I mean, there's tons of businesses out there and none of them are going to be the same. So really finding a way that you can compare businesses yeah. to businesses and coming up with just criteria. Like some benchmark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Quantitative. Yeah. Quantitative criteria that you can score each other against. So you can really come to, okay, no, this is the company I need, right? It's just everything else is white noise. Really help you stay on track and not just feel overwhelmed. And there's shiny pennies out there, but it just may not make sense. And yeah. you don't want to go chasing those. So taking the subjective and making it objective yeah. with some sort of scoring yeah, criteria. Yeah, score to it. Could at be least, a one through five or... Yeah, at least... You know, to complement the subjective. I mean, it's not all black and white. Yeah, your gut will take you a long way. 
Yeah. Matthew had mentioned attorneys, bankers, financial planners, and insurance agents. I would also add your customers and vendors. And you kind of alluded to yeah. that as well. Yeah. Customers, vendors, other yeah. partners. Our sales reps, we actually, Adam and I just had a conversation about that. It's like, we don't want to financially incentivize them to yeah. look for acquisitions. We actually yeah. said, should we do that? And we ultimately, That'd be hard. I don't know that it's right or wrong. We ultimately decided not to because we didn't want to distract them from what they're actually That's doing. what I would say and too. what we landed on was there was enough incentive for them in it because we need more capacity. We constantly are fighting capacity. So we said, mm -hmm. look, our sales team's incentive to help us find acquisitions is to grow capacity, which allows them to sell more. Yep. But my point of all that is we have now sort of made it okay with our sales team to, hey, bring us opportunities. They're the ones out in the market every day that know. So the acquisition we just completed came from my sales guy in Colorado. So Eddie, if you're listening, I'm giving you kudos right <laughs> now because you deserve it. We don't necessarily compensate for them finding an acquisition that closes like we would for a sale, but we make ship conveyors and coolant filtration systems. We weren't in the high pressure coolant business. Our biggest competitors are. So we either had to like start from the ground up and develop something or acquire or acquire. And he found the perfect fit. We got the acquisition done and we were talking about percentages too, right? I wanted to bring this up. The way we did it was we have the majority, the super majority, but the founder and the creator of this product and this technology is keeping a piece for a period of time. Yep, We like that yeah. because yeah. he's got skin in the game for like making sure that the integration goes well, which we'll talk about in the future and that like we hit the ground running here. So yeah. it's just, it was a perfect fit and we'll probably do something for Eddie. Yeah. yeah. Eddie, if you're listening, don't hold me to it though. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so one of the things we talk about whenever I'm looking for an acquisition, and this is like how I do everything is like, I always start with a vision. So it's like, what is my vision yep. for expanding the business? Because the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to get distracted. You know what I mean? You don't want to say every little shiny object out there, you're going to look to acquire that company. So like have a vision for what you think that the company should look like in the future and then execute on that via acquisition. I love what you just said, because I think the vision is actually more important than the acquisition part of it. And in this well, case, start there. in the case of what I was just talking about, like we had a product vision. Yeah. And acquisition was the way to get it done. Yeah. But it, it could have happened another way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If that perfect candidate yeah. wasn't in front of us, we'd be sitting there R and D in a product right yeah, now. Yeah, there you go. So. Yeah. And then the other thing that I would say is related to this is look at the age of some of these other companies out there, the age of the owner, whether they have like a next generation of child that's in the business. I mean, because that's generally like this is a very family business dominated industry. And so look at whether they have a family member in the business. And if they don't, you probably should start talking to them. And sometimes it could take five to 10 years before that acquisition actually yeah. happens. Yeah. So it doesn't hurt to just start talking now and say, hey, I just want to let you know, we do actually acquire a lot of companies. If you're ever interested, yep. you please come and talk to me. Pressure. Yeah, low pressure. It's just like, let's go have coffee and let's talk about how we've expanded the company over the years. And maybe you can be a part of that in the yeah. future if you choose to sell your and company. And it can be a compliment to them. See, it doesn't have to be like an adversarial thing. Like, totally. You know, I really respect and admire the business that you've built. Therefore, if you're ever interested, I would love to talk. And another thing I will add to that, Jason, great point about if there's no next gen in the business, but even if there is next gen in the business, don't let that scare you. We've run into yep. multiple opportunities recently where I would have just assumed that the 30 or 40 year old Good son point. was going to take it over. And for whatever reason, they're not. In fact, we're working on a business model right now where we're really trying to dial in a opportunity to partner with those next gens yes. who don't have 
have the back office, the systems, the processes. They're a blue collar shop floor and they're fantastic. And those folks are valuable. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they just don't want to take the leap. They're not entrepreneurial like dad was uh-huh. or like Uncle Bob was or whoever. And, right. And they said, you know what? I just want to keep running the damn thing. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. fine running it, but I don't want to deal with the bank. I don't want to yeah. deal with this or that. It's like we talk about that just even hosting, making chips. Yeah. It's like we just want to make partnerships, be the influencers, yeah. the producers, be the host. Yeah. But there's this whole company we got to run. Yeah. yeah. So I've got a quick story related to this. So there's a competitor of mine that's out there and he's older and he does not have children in the business. And he like is a workaholic. He works all day long in the business and then he works like in his shop at nighttime. He's just a workaholic. He's a very different guy. Let's just say. And I called him up and I had that very same casual conversation. I said, hey, so-and-so, I'm not going to say his name or his company. Have you ever thought about selling your business? Why don't you come talk to me? And so people often get nervous about having that conversation. They're like, oh, what if they reject me? And so I got the ultimate rejection and it was kind of funny. So I had that conversation. I was like, I'm going to hold back from saying his name. So I was like, hey, when I had that conversation, what if if you ever want to sell, come talk to me. He's like, how about I buy you? And I was like, oh. Okay. And I was a little bit taken aback. And we have the exact same story. My dad responded. <laughs> and I was like, like okay, that. well, if you ever change your mind and you do want to sell your business, so just come talk to me. It's and so it's funny like, you said yeah. that because our biggest competitor in one of our spaces is a company that's much larger than us. Yeah. And they're owned by private equity. And so they kind of wipe everybody out and bring in all these Harvard suits. And I was like early 20s. I might have been a teenager. This is like six, seven IMTSs ago. I don't remember when it was. I was young. And their guy like, connected with me on LinkedIn and got a meeting with me Uh because he knew I would be like, hey, who's this company? Why do these private equity guys want to talk to me? And he's like, make sure I'm in that meeting. (laughs) So we invite him into our booth and sit him down and they start kind of hinting at that. And my dad answered. He's like, yeah, are you looking for us to buy you? He knew exactly what they're saying, but... It was just funny because there's like no way we could. Right. Jason, yeah. why didn't you ask him what number he was going to give you? I mean, come yeah. on, man. I should have. Yeah, I know. You know, it's funny, Matthew, because it was so adversarial the way he said it to me. Yeah. He was really threatened. Yeah. It was almost like I pulled my arm back to punch him and he like took the first punch. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I was not just, even trying to punch him. You I know, don't... and I wasn't like, but that's what he thought. And it was just so adversarial. I was kind of taken aback and didn't know what to say, but I'm still going to maybe call him up again. I left a business card at his office once. He never called me back. That you know? might be the way to really break down the barrier and get the conversation going is just say, hey, you know what? What would you pay me? <laughs> there you go. You know, it's I'm like, not looking to sell this though. whole yeah, time. I'm hearing that yeah. Mining that way. yeah, there you go. This whole time I'm hearing this, I'm thinking of like the metaphor or parallel of trying to talk to a girl that you know what I mean? When you're a single guy, sometimes you get rejected that bad. Yeah. It doesn't mean you stop doing it unless you want to stay single, right? So there you, you go. got to go out there. You may kind of offend somebody, but yeah. you got to go out there. You got to make it happen. You got to look at from these guys' perspective. Somebody came up to them, wanted to buy their business. They've been in it their entire life. That's all they know. If they sell their business, what are they going to do? My dad just retired a couple yeah. of years ago. It was a month. And he was begging to come work for us because he had to have something to do. Sounds like Jason's dad. Yeah. (laughs) Here for these guys. Yeah. Sometimes you can literally kill an entrepreneur by taking their business away from them. You'll find out that they're dead five years later because they just don't have a purpose anymore. I've said that a lot about my 93-year-old grandfather. Exactly. It's like everyone asks him when he's going to retire. And he says, I got a lot of friends who retired and they're all dead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So 
I'd like to end the episode here. We were going to talk a little bit about due diligence, but I think that that could be its own episode that we talk yeah. about at a later time. I agree. I think this has been really informative. I learned a lot from all of you's different perspective, and I think this was good. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts from you guys? I think Adam would be much more the expert on due diligence. But the one thing I want to say, as soon as you said due diligence, a lot of people probably were like ready to start snoring. I mean, we'll make it fun. Right. So <laughs> the accountants will geek out on that. But everyone else is like, oh, my God, due diligence. But, but the owner's got to pay attention. Well, to let it. me tell you. Yeah, there's so so much about due diligence that has nothing to do with accounting. Absolutely. I'll just leave it with that. For sure. That's no. the due diligence I love that. that I get fired up about. Yep. Oh, he yeah. geeks out yeah. on there's HR and IT and processes and safety and quality. Culture. Culture. Oh. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And the numbers matter too. And <laughs> ego and personality <laughs> yeah. dynamics and all the that. The numbers yeah. is like the barrier to entry, right? Yeah, like right, if the right. math doesn't work, yeah. nothing else matters. But then there's so many layers to due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the math doesn't work right away. Yeah. Because there's egos attached. Yeah. So the numbers could be super far off. You might be surprised how like over time things get closer. All right. Well, let's hold off on this for a future episode. So thank you guys. Thank you, Adam, for coming on the show. Appreciate Appreciate your contribution to this. If you enjoyed this episode, what do we want to do, Nick? The three R's. Rate, review, and refer it to somebody. Thank you. So how do they rate? Uh, So you've got like your Apple podcast, Spotify, whatever. Give us a five star. Yeah. Like, don't give us a one star. Yeah. I mean, if you hated it, you should email us your one star review, but don't put it on there because it hurts our feelings. There you go. It hurts our feelings when we get a one. And when you review, specifically let us know who your favorite host is and why. Yes. And we want that feedback. And make sure you tell me feel good about myself. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then refer. How do we do that? Yeah. It's just like somebody who's in acquisition mode or someone who might be trying to sell their business. Forward this to them. There you go. If you don't know how to forward something, you need a lot more help than I than I can provide. (laughs) Is your love language words of affirmation? Oh yeah, it is actually. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) So I love reviews that really pump up my ego. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, how do we end the show? Well, if you're not making acquisitions, you're not making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Bam.